Chapter 15 of An Earthman on Venus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Manuel Rovello. An Earthman on Venus by Ralph Mound Farley. Chapter 15 A New Game. But with Lilla's love and trust, I could not despair. As I kissed her good night, with her warm, throbbing, girlish body held fast in my arms, a single star shone down upon us for an instant, through a rift in the circumambient clouds. Was it my own planet, the Earth? I wonder. During the succeeding days, I saw much of Lilla and nothing of Butsu and ever I racked my brains for an idea which would point the way out of my difficulties. My only hope was to perform such a distinguished service for my adopted country that the king would relent, would forgive me, and would promote me to the rank of Sarkar. The most distinguished service which a Kupian can render is to invent a new and popular game, so I set about to do something in that line. And at last the idea came, a whiz of an idea. As Hababu, head of the Department of Mechanics, had advised me to seek this means of distinction, so it was to him that I first confided my plans. At my request, Prince Torin, who had aided me so efficiently in devising my radio set in the laboratories of Muni, was detailed to assist me in this new endeavor. He and a young draftsman and a young chemist set to work with me to build the new game. And what was this new game? Target shooting with army rifles. Explosives were already known to Porus, being used for blasting and for airplane bombs. With the aid of the young chemists, I adapted these explosives to be sufficiently slow-burning to drive a rifle bullet without injuring the gun. In a surprisingly short time, we had turned out a crude rifle which would actually shoot. The heads of the mathematics and astronomy departments, Jababu and Butedin, were then let in on the secret, for the purpose of computing trajectories and assigning the sights and wind leaf, which they did by an adaptation of the principles employed in computing the orbits of celestial bodies. A hundred and forty-seven rifles were then turned out and presented to my athletic club. My club tried out the rifles, and, when at last they began to get bullseyes, they went wild over the new sport. The king heard and relented sufficiently to send for me and compliment me. After being thoroughly tried out in my hundred, rifle shooting was next introduced into the clubs to which my three assistants belonged, and became popular there as well. The idea spread, and soon all the clubs throughout the kingdom were clamoring for guns. The mechanical laboratory at Kuana was made over into a huge arsenal, and the chemical laboratory into a huge munitions factory, while the athletic clubs of Kuana and the vicinity detailed some of their members to work overtime in my two plants. The Kupians will always work overtime in the cause of play. Target practice soon became the national sport of Kupia. The craze even reached such dimensions that Queen Formis finally dispatched a special mission to Kuana to study the movement and report whether it could not be put to some practical use. The report of that mission is now one of my most treasured processions, and a frame reproduction of their conclusions now hangs upon my office wall. 
The Anne mission concluded, and so reported to their queen, that the new game had absolutely no practical application, but that if it kept the crazy Coopians quiet and took their minds off their troubles, it might prove a valuable contribution towards simplifying the enforcement of the Treaty of Muni. And so, indeed, it seemed. Tor neglected politics to become a proficient shot, and his anti-Formian movement rapidly subsided, all of which was exactly as I had planned. The collapse of the Torrent movement so pleased the exiled Prince Jury that he sent a special ambassador to his brother, offering to assist in introducing the new sport to the Cupians at Muni. But I fear the Greeks even when faring donuts, as we used to say at Harvard. So Yuri's kind offer was declined. We did, however, present a sample rifle and some of our powder to the authorities of the Imperial University of the Anment at their request, for we could not very well refuse. Finally, King Ku himself condescended to sit in at the conferences between Hababu, Bubteden, Jababu, Torn, and myself. He had been brooding a good deal recently on the indignities inflicted on his people by Queen Formis, with whom he had had several disputes lately and the committee work seemed to divert and cheer him up greatly. But still I was not made as our car, although I learned from Lilla that Hababu had urged this on the king. The influence of Basu Sarkari was still too strong. In fact, it was rumored that she now aspired to make herself queen of Kupia. Well, I did not mind. Better even one of her sons on the throne than Yuri. Having got the new game well underway, I next turned to my old love, radio. First I obtained some stones from the Howling Valley, which was easy, because of my deafness to radio waves, but I was unable to put them to any practical use. Then I devised a simple wave draft for absorbing the ordinary carrying waves of Peruvian speech. Also I arranged a variable condenser, which could so alter the capacity of the Cupian antennae that selective sending and reception were possible. These two devices were combined in a small box which could easily be carried on a man's head and be coupled to his antennae. My third invention on these lines was a broadcasting set, whereby the normal Coupian sending range of four parrot stads, about fifty yards, was increased to half a stad, about half a mile. And now, in my frantic quest for a Sarkar ship, I introduced a still further new game, namely marching evolutions on an extended scale. Strictly speaking, this was really an adaptation of an old game, rather than the creation of a new, for marching formation had always been popular in Kupia. But my three new radio devices made it possible to perform these evolutions by twelves of thousands. We tried it out in our own twelve thousand. The commander broadcasts his orders to the selective tuned headsets of the Eclats, and they in turn to the putas, each of whom then directed his hundred at ordinary wavelength. These regimental evolutions went through like clockwork, and this idea spread to the other twelve thousands of the country. But still I was not made a sarkar. I then turned my attention to the construction of two huge engines, one of which we mounted on a kirkwool, and one on the concrete base in the courtyard of the university machine shop. The purpose of these engines was for the present kept secret, but I had a feeling that they would win me the Sarkar ship, even if everything else failed. As a result of my inventions, 
King Ku himself unbent to invite me to occupy the reviewing stand with him on Peace Day, when the annual athletic prize-giving was to take place. This was a signal honor which even Sarkars might envy, but it was not a Sarkarship. The morning of the 500th anniversary of the Peace of Muni, 358 in Porovin notation, dawn clear and dazzling. By 460 o'clock, 9 o'clock in earth time, the whole plaza and the fields beyond were jammed with marching clubs. The minister of play, who stood with me on the reviewing platform at the crest of University Hill, along with the rest of the cabinet, Prince Torin, and a few leading nobles and professors, sadly remarked that he was afraid the maneuvers would have to be given up. I replied with a smile that I guessed not, though he was unable to figure out how evolutions could be possible with that huge crowd. Pistol shooting had recently been introduced as a tentative subject for next year's games. Our and our committee of five all wore revolvers strapped to our sides as a special badge in recognition of our responsibility for the gala occasion. The house stops and roads were crowded with Kupian femininity. All was ready for the grand opening. I adjusted the controls of the big sending set and dispatched Poblath, who had been detailed as my aide for the day to inform the king that the time had arrived for his address. As King Ku the Twelfth stepped up on the stand, at just five hundred o'clock, ten o'clock in earth time, practically the entire male population of Kupia gave him the United States Army present arms in absolute unison. It was an inspiring sight. I noticed that the king seemed extremely pale and nervous, but I did not give this much thought at the time. Then I yielded the sending set to him, and he began his speech of welcome, a very different speech from what had been expected, but one which will go down in history, and which every Kupian schoolboy throughout the ages will commit to memory, as American boys do the Gettysburg address. Thus spoke King Ku. Three hundred and fifty-eight years ago today, our forefathers submitted to the indignities of the Treaty of Muni and this stigma of that infamous treaty attached to the Q dynasty, which was then founded. For twelve generations, Kupia has been under the dominion of a race of animals, animals possessed of human intelligence, it is true, but still merely lower animals. Now the part of our deliverance is at hand. Those rifles which you hold were designed not for play, but rather for the killing of Formians. The bullets which have been issued to you this day contain the highest explosive known to Peruvian science. With these weapons you are invincible. Today, with your support, Kupia will become free, and the Q dynasty will wipe out forever the stigma of its birth. Are you men or slaves? If you be slaves, you will bow to Formis, your sons and descendants forever will warily serve out their time in her workshops. She will have veto power over all your laws, and your present king will give his body as food for her maggots, and your future kings will cower before her. But if you be men, you will today offer up your lives for your country, that Kupia may at last be free. A murmur, as of a great angry sea, arose from the crowd and smote upon my antennae. The sporting nature of the proposition appealed to them fully as much as any sentiments of patriotism. The king turned to me. I saluted. 
and in front of that huge assemblage he pinned upon my breast the long-forgotten insignia of field marshal of the armies of a nation simultaneously prince torn and the three professors displayed the insignia of general hababu stepped to my side as my chief of staff while the other three donned their selective tuners and descended from the platform to take command of their several corps the stage was all set for the final denouement the king spoke again let all cupians who are willing to die for king and country raise their hands aloft upshot every hand on the hill and plain below i seized the phones and shouted then forward into antlan for cupia king ku and prince lilla for cupia king ku and prince lilla shouted my army in reply and the march toward formia began but some cupian had betrayed us for at this instant there appeared at the crest of the hill overlooking the city a horde of antmen who debouched in perfect order on the fields beyond the plain thank god that they had now arrived before the king's speech but even as it was things were bad enough our advanced companies recoiled in terror before the black assault five hundred years of servile peace are not well calculated to develop a nation of fighters as a torrent frantically trying to rally his troops but in vain it had been easy enough to plan to attack the endment but five hundred years of submission had bred a tradition of formian omnipotence and this tradition at once revived when the formians appeared i gazed with horror at the scene here were thousands upon thousands of presumably intelligent human beings armed with the most powerful weapons which modern science could produce and yet retreating in superstitious fear before a handful of unarmed ants had the high resolves of a few parpaths ago degenerated to this why didn't my men use the rifles let them fire a few shots and they would realize their power so seizing the phones again i turned them to torrent's wavelength and radiated for god's sake stop never mind your whole army just hold two or three men get them to use the rifles on the enemy use your own pistol too torrent did not know who god was but he sensed the agony of my appeal and he gathered the idea seizing the nearest cupian by the shoulder he swung him around at the same time discharging his own revolver an ant-man exploded the cupian fascinated fired his own rifle with equal success then at torrent's peremptory command a few more of his men halted long enough to try their rifles on the enemy at each shot one formian exploded the effect was splendid our men stopped formed ranks again opened fire and advanced once more toward formia the tradition of formian invincibility was destroyed forever messengers now came with word that hundreds of kirkuls were bringing up ant reinforcements over all the roads leading from the border but what could jaws avail them against dum-dum bullets I learned later that the ants had attacked certain outlying towns of our country earlier in the day, expecting to make easy work of them, and to wreak a vengeance on the unprotected inhabitants. But our casualties there had been surprisingly light. In the village of Bean, in the Okarzi Mountains, rocks were used on the attackers, and the chance remark, fine target practice, had suggested to some bright local mind the use of rifles, with which the ant-men had been repulsed with ease. At Bartlap, one of the enemy had indiscreetly mentioned that rifles were the cause of the war and immediately rifles were effectively produced 
in most of the other instances the formians had been recalled to reinforce the attack on kuana now a new development occurred for a fleet of airships appeared on the horizon and presently high explosive bombs began dropping with frightful havoc among my astounded troops who once more broke and ran in a few parapaths the plains would be over the city i dispatched poblath on the run to the university and soon my human sense of hearing was rewarded by a sharp crack 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 from the machine's building the first plane toppled and fell the second and then the third the others sensing a power beyond their ability to combat wheeled and withdrew our armies reformed and once more advanced toward formia the first of my huge secret machines an anti-aircraft gun had spoken soon messengers brought word that intense fighting was in progress for the possession of the third gate of course it would be many days before our forces could reach the western two gates but the bulk of the populations of both countries live near the third gate due to the mountainous nature of the country to the west then came news that the foremans at the third gate had been flanked by some of our men who had surmounted the pale wood scaling ladders the third gate fell into the hands of Kupia. our victorious armies were on enemy soil it was war to the hilt and the fact that the foremans had invaded and attacked first satisfied the sporting sense of all Kupia. A special detachment of Mooney-trained aviators and mechanics had gone at once to the three planes as soon as we had shot them down, and now one of them arose into the air fully repaired. The moment had arrived for the final masterstroke in the new Kupian national game, war. For the second huge machine in the courtyard of the Department of Mechanics was a 16-inch Barbette Coast Artillery Rifle, which had been trained upon the Imperial City of the Anqueen by exact elevation and azimuth carefully computed by Budtetten, the huge gun boomed forth again and again it boomed as our spotting plane reported for adjustment of fire finally just at nightfall the signal came to cease firing the imperial city from which queen formis had been directing her troops had been totally destroyed and with it presumably the queen and her friend and ally the renegade yuri our armies still pressed forward into Formia, protected from air attack by the three repaired planes and by the anti-aircraft gun which had been sent forward by Kerkul. I was jubilant. But not so, apparently, King Ku. What is the matter, sir? I asked. Why do you look so down on this glorious day of deliverance? Are you thinking of our poor boys who have fallen? No, he replied. I did not dare to tell you before for fear that your well-known impetuosity would disrupt our plans but now you can know the princess lilla has been missing since morning the fact that all her clothes are intact except her sleeping robe leads me to think that she must have been kidnapped during the night my god i ejaculated in english then turning the command over to hababu and instructing him to move his headquarters to the third gate in the morning I hastened to the apartments of my sweetheart. Thu met me there in tears and said, My princess is dead. My princess is dead. Last night, through connivance with me, Prince Yuri drugged her with saffron root and spirited her away to the imperial city of Formia. I knew all your plans, except the purpose of your two huge cannons, or I should have warned Yuri of those, too. I thought merely to spoil your victory and so gain my revenge. 
The old king, too, had spurned my amorous advances, and so I declare war in Kupia. But Kupia has won in spite of me, and as a punishment for my guilt, my beloved mistress has been killed. There could be no doubt of it. Every living thing in the city of the queen had been destroyed. My victory was turned to ashes. In despair I sunk upon a couch. But comforting arms stole around my shoulders, and a soft voice spoke in my antennae. Cabot, can you ever forgive me? I love you so that I would willingly give back to you your princess just to make you happy. But, alas, she is lost to us forever. Can we not solace ourselves with love for each other? Cabot, Cabot, I love you so, my dear. And her fragrant, voluptuous, intoxicating presence wrapped herself around my tired body and despondent soul. End of chapter 15 Reading by Manuel Ravello